epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. I thought they legalized this to remove the dark side, right? To remove the bookie, to make it a safer environment. But instead it feels and appears to me like they're actually trying to increase the amount of sports bettors. When you see these ads and you see how it's, how it's being talked about. Welcome to The Real Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. Tune in to any game these days, football, basketball, hockey, baseball, you name it, and you're sure to be bombarded with betting. From the pregame shows to advertisements in the stadium to the flood of commercials promoting your local sports book, the reminders are everywhere that American sports have arrived at a new normal. For decades, pro sports leagues treated gambling as an unforgivable sin. But today, they're going all in on the national wave of legalized sports betting. And it's not hard to see why. After all, more bettors means more eyeballs, which means more money. But at what cost to the fans watching and betting from home? On today's podcast, John Frankel's latest report tackles that question, delving into the issues of addiction that have resulted from sports betting going legal and America's pro sports leagues promoting the industry at every turn. After you hear the story, we'll be joined by Keith White, executive director for the National Council on Problem Gambling. He'll help us unpack the data surrounding sports betting addiction and discuss what responsibility the leagues have to safeguard against these potential pitfalls of a gambling gold rush. All that to come. But first, here's John Frankel's Real Sports Report. The fear began over 100 years ago, in 1919, when gamblers conspired with athletes to fix the World Series. Thousands mourned the proof that baseball wasn't fully honest. The players involved were banned for life, and for the next century, the lords of baseball regarded one sin as unforgivable, gambling. The banishment for life of Pete Rose from baseball is the sad end of a sorry episode. But times have changed. Today, watching a ball game has become like walking into a casino. Ball two coming into the game, Fox bet sportsbook. Had Altuve at plus 350 to hit a home run, so a $10 bet returned 45. America's pastime is now selling a lot more than peanuts and Cracker Jack. That's what it's all about, right? Is it's money at the end of the day. For years, this was hands off. This was separation. This was church and state. It's absolutely wild, isn't it? I mean, 
it's, it's so normalized. Chad, a sports fan who asked that we not use his last name, says that at times he's been unable to resist baseball's relentless sales pitch. He's got my cash. And you could win 25000 of pop Look at all that money. You can watch a game and all the ads pop up. DraftKings Sportsbook game odds. You go to a game, it's on the Jumbotron. They're talking about who they're going to bet on. Is it a constant reminder of, oh, I can bet on one more thing? Absolutely. We are Better's Eye, presented by BetMGM. You can watch Major League Baseball now even broadcasts a show in which the ball games are shown in the background, while the hosts talk about the games that matter, the games of chance, and show fans how to bet on what will happen next. If you believe that Cruz was going to hit a home run, you quickly click on raise to win the inning and you click the home run. Before, you just place a bet on the game before it started. Where now, you know, you just pick up your smartphone and you're watching a game. You can bet mid-game. And it's not just baseball. All of America's major sports leagues are now in the bookmaking business. From the NBA. Download the points bet app now. They'll give you two risk-free bets up to $2,000. To the NFL. Every play means even more. To the NHL. Let's take a look at tonight's bet MGM Inside Edge. I feel like the majority that are sports fans are, are now betting on sports. Turn your stomach? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I think about what, what it's done to me, I, I wouldn't want anybody to have to experience this. That's because over the last few years, Chad has lost hundreds of thousands of dollars betting on sports. At his worst, he's been unable to resist the urge to bet, like during the 2020 baseball playoffs when he was about to cash out of his account with $50,000 in winnings, until those messages started coming through his TV. You got a chance to make a couple dollars here and there. Why not, you know? I placed half of it on the Dodgers and Padres in the, the playoffs. Of course, I played the Padres. Of course, it didn't work out well. Uh, the hands are over along first. That's fair ball that will finish the game. So I lost 25. What did I do? Try to get it back. Place another 25 the next day on the same game. Ground ball to second. Hernandez has it. On to first, and that's it. Lost it all. How does one react to losing $50,000 like that? Well, that's the thing is nobody can know, right? Internally, I want to throw up, but I, I can't tell anybody. Have you lied to your wife about gambling? Oh, yeah. Have you stolen from your wife? Yeah. She got to a place of where she had to lock up her wallet and... Just this last bout, you know, I, I broke into her wallet and she caught me trying to use the car to gamble. At the time we met him last fall, Chad was living alone in his basement, his wife having banished him from the home they share with their three young children. She's like, I think I want a divorce. This has gone on too long. I cannot live with a liar. I cannot live with a manipulator. I cannot live with someone who puts themselves before our family. And that's what I've done. Stories like Chad should come as no surprise. For years, we were warned about the dangers of sports betting. By whom? America's sports leagues. In 2000, the four major leagues urged Congress to ban sports betting nationwide, warning that it, quote, promotes compulsive gambling. The leagues petitioned Congress again in 2001 and 2007, explaining that we have long opposed sports betting because of the harm it inflicts on fans of all ages. But then the leagues changed their tune. A U.S. Supreme Court ruling today has opened the door to a dramatic expansion of legal sports betting. 
In 2018, a landmark decision paved the way for states to legalize sports gambling. And with billions of potential dollars to be made, the leagues adopted a new philosophy. Show me the money. Today, it can be hard to tell where your local sports arena ends and the casino begins. So you can place your bet here, and you're just a few steps away from exactly. your seat. Exactly. Ted Leonsis owns the NBA and NHL franchises in Washington, D.C., the Wizards and the Capitals, who play here in Capital One Arena. Now the sports teams share their home with sports bookmakers. After Leonsis partnered with casino giant Caesars, to open the first ever betting hall in a U.S. sports arena. Could you have imagined something like this 10 years ago? No, I couldn't. Because it was taboo, because the leagues were so against it? There was a lot of angst about uh, sports betting. Uh, what was the audience going to be doing? And they seem to be enjoying themselves. That's what they seem to be Very doing. Much I mean, so. this is the fastest growing new business in Washington, D.C., and it's unfolded the way we're expecting. Here, fans line up to risk some cash. 10 parlay for 300. And then sweat out each play. Like it, like it. But whatever happens, the real winners are Leonsis and his fellow titans of sport, who don't get a cut of the bets, but whose product is in greater demand than ever. It'll make sports programming even more valuable because you're much more engaged. Used to be there'd be a blowout in the game and everyone would tune out. Now you're watching to the end to see what your bet will be. There's some games that like you as a fan might not be like super interested in, but like you bet on them and all of a sudden like, all right, I got something in this. So it makes it a little bit more enticing to watch. How many games do you have action on today? Uh, quite a few of them. Quite a few? <laughs> Almost all of them. Okay. <laughs> That's and, why I'm here. And, and, and I'll put it gently, how much do you have invested today? Hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Would you be betting as much if this were not here? I wouldn't be betting at all. Right. But because this is here, you're now betting. Yes. Just how many new gamblers are being created by America's sports leagues is unknowable. But one trend has already become clear. Since the sports betting boom began, phone calls to gambling addiction hotlines have skyrocketed, up four times in New Jersey, nearly five times in Virginia, a full six times in West Virginia. Could you foresee a situation in which one of your loyal season ticket holders gets themselves into gambling trouble and turns around and says, if he hadn't had a sports book in his arena, I never would have gotten myself into trouble, and it's your fault. I'm sure something like that could happen. Um, but Caesars is the provider of the services and the odds in the book. They're the ones who would be managing how much money could this person bet. Um, if you're gambling too much, there's an algorithm that says they'll shut you off. Um, usually the people that get in trouble in gambling are not at um, registered casinos. It's in the underground. Leonza says that it's underground illegal sports gambling that poses the greater risk. The bettors will be in safer hands with the sports league's gambling partners. But Chad who has also gambled in the underground sports betting market, doesn't buy it. 
I thought they legalized this to remove the dark side, right? To remove the bookie, to make it a safer environment. But instead it feels and appears to me like they're actually trying to increase the amount of sports bettors. When you see these ads and you see how it's, how it's being talked about. Indeed, a look at the tactics employed by the league's gambling partners suggests they're determined to get fans gambling as much and as often as possible. Consider what happened when the pandemic struck and pro sports in America were suspended. The league's partners got creative to keep gamblers on the hook by pushing them to bet on something else, anything else. Even, yes, Russian table tennis. Where are these ping pong matches that you're betting on? I have no clue. And how much would you bet on this? Thousand bucks. Did you even know the players? No, that's kind of the point, right? It's needing that adrenaline. It's needing the action where you fill your boredom time with it. You fill your insecurities with it. it. It's just like any addiction. And the league's gambling partners keep their customers betting in other ways as well. Chad was given a so-called VIP manager whose job was to keep Chad from quitting. Would yeah. they call you? Would they text you and say, hey, Chad, we haven't heard from you? Yeah, absolutely. May take a couple weeks off and they'll throw you a free play to get you back in. And I'm like, oh, that's not really betting because I'm not using our money, it's a free play. And then I get that taste only to lose it, to then go, oh my gosh, now I'm dipping into my pocket. You're the durable back on the track. Back in that fricking hamster wheel. Where's all this going? You don't need a crystal ball to see the answer. Place your bet. You just need to look across the pond. Big deflection off the back of Zuma. In England, the country's major sports leagues began pushing gambling on their fans years ago. Betting parlors began appearing inside stadiums, and Premier League teams began partnering with casino companies, generating huge income streams for the lords of British sport. Sport, particularly football, has become increasingly reliant on revenue from gambling companies in recent years. What do you think of the fact that nearly half of the Premier League teams have sponsorships with gambling companies? I think it's disgusting. They're trying to make it look normal, aren't they, as part of the game. And we know a lot of people now who watch football don't enjoy it unless they gamble. Judith Bruni and Fran Green know firsthand. They watched as a loved one was destroyed by an addiction to sports gambling. Chris Bruni was Judith's son and Fran's boyfriend and a promising young electrical engineer. Like Chad, he started gambling on sports and couldn't stop. And like Chad, he was given a VIP manager who facilitated his gambling habit. Chris once came up to me, I can remember, it was from this VIP person, and he's, he went, look at this. He says, they tried to be my best friend. He'd get bombarded with free bets, free spins, free this, free that. Judith and Fran say that soon after a VIP manager gifted Chris an Apple Watch, he went on a five-day gambling binge. Chris lost tens of thousands of pounds and then asked his VIP manager to allow him to make even bigger bets. He did contact the VIP manager, which then they almost encouraged him to carry on. Chris actually texted his account manager at the gambling company and said, the maximum bet on sports seems to be just under 4,000 pounds. Yeah. Can you extend this on my account? And the reply was, well, it won't be automatic, 
but have a go, they want you to bet. Without stepping in and asking, you know, does he need some help? The next day, Chris lost 18,000 pounds on soccer bets. The day after, he lost three more big money bets. What happened the next day? My husband came in to me and said, you need to get up. Chris is gone. He's left a note. What did the note say? <laughs> he just said that he loved, he loved us all and that he just, um, he needed to just disappear. Did he mention the gambling? Yeah, he, he said he, he couldn't fight it anymore. It had consumed him. At the age of 25, Chris Bruni took his own life. It was just the latest in a string of suicides of young British men who'd become addicted to sports gambling. Problem gambling has become a public health emergency. Now government officials in the UK are racing to stem the tide. They are preparing to open 14 new gambling addiction clinics nationwide and considering ways to take gambling out of the mainstream sports industry, including a ban on gambling advertising on uniforms. Sport and gambling now, it, it's almost become side by side and it shouldn't be like that. If I told you that for years, decades even, that the major sports leagues in the US have resisted, they've wanted no part of gambling, and now they're partnering with gambling companies. What do you say to that? It's disgusting. Why? Why do they need to do that? Why? I think it'll be catastrophic in the US. The UK has recognized that it has a problem on its hands. They're dealing with an issue of suicide and a real problem with gamblers who are getting themselves into such a hole that they're taking their lives. It's terrible. And are we headed down that road? I hope not. And, you know, I think smarter heads will prevail. I think it's incumbent on all of the players in the industry to make sure that we, we do this with a sense of responsibility. Real Sports wanted to speak with representatives from the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball about their embrace of gambling, but they all declined to be interviewed on camera. The NFL notes that it's launched a, quote, responsible gambling initiative, donating $6 million for addiction treatment. That's the game plan. Stick to it. Of course, the league has also signed deals with three gambling partners, bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars per year. As for Chad, he says he's doing better now, and this winter moved back in with his family, hoping to put sports gambling behind him. It seems harmless, and it's fun. Right? It's fun. Betting on sports is a good time until it progresses. And that's who's going to pay is the, the, the gambler. And we're now joined by Keith White. He's the executive director for the National Council on Problem Gambling, which puts him right at the center of this issue of addiction in the age of legalized sports betting. Keith, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you, Max, for having me. So to start, Keith, could you tell us what the National Council on Problem Gambling is and, and what it does? Well, we're the national advocates to minimize harm for people with gambling problems. And we do that in a number of different ways, 
But I think most importantly, one of our, our principles is that we're neutral on legalized gambling. So we're neither for nor against. You know, we work with both gambling operators, we work with state governments, tribes, as well as other stakeholders of concern, most importantly, to make sure that people who may have gambling problems get the help that they need. We heard some statistics in that story, but what has your organization found in the numbers as to the rate of problem gambling since sports betting has gone widely legal in all these states? Well, one of the interesting things is that we think that participation has obviously grown a lot. We think risk for gambling problems has roughly doubled since 2018 and the overturning of the Supreme Court law. So there is, of course, the pandemic that took place during this time period. So while risk for gambling problems has doubled, I think there may be a number of causes, but it certainly that expansion of legalized sports betting is one of them. Sports betting was already rampant, and many people were placing bets pre-legalization in the shadows, illegally. Proponents say, hey, this is better. We can now regulate and monitor this activity in the daylight. What do you make of that argument? Well, I think those proponents probably don't have the same history we have of 50 years of trying to get state governments to take problem gambling seriously. I think their theory is correct that state government should legalize and tax and regulate sports betting better than illegal operators, and that government should take protections to protect people with gambling problems. However, that's not what we've seen either in our history over the past 50 years of legalized gambling. And over the past two and a half years, we've seen about one third of states who've legalized sports betting have not devoted any public funding to prevent or treat gambling addiction. You know, many of these states have also legalized sports betting with minimal responsible gambling provisions. So I think, unfortunately, that argument is an argument that is perhaps for the future, that every state should do a better job about legalizing and regulating than the offshore operators. But frankly, a number of our states barely do a better job than the offshore operators. So you're saying as more and more of these states have legalized sports betting, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, right now we're at 30 plus DC that have sports betting up and running. You're saying very few of these states are putting in place meaningful measures to help protect against problem gambling as participation rises. That's correct. From states like Arizona, who devoted no additional public funding to prevent or treat gambling problems, they didn't have a great infrastructure to start with, to states like Colorado that only put an extra $200,000 here, to places like D.C. that managed to open the nation's first in-stadium sports book before they ever spent a dime of the money from their sports betting revenue. In fact, to date, D.C. has still not spent any of the tax money that they set aside by law to prevent and treat gambling problems. We did hear in that story about some government sounding alarms over sports betting, and that is the UK government. And as noted in that report, their expansion of legal sports betting over the last decade has resulted in significant issues. So how concerned are you that the US is on a similar trajectory to what we've seen in the UK? I think we are heading high speed towards the exact same backlash that the UK saw. And when you look at the areas where we are expanding fastest, it's things like gambling sponsorship of leagues and teams, cashless gaming, and in-play betting, and advertising saturation. So on those four issues, those are the four issues that I would argue led most directly to the backlash in the UK, and not just the public backlash, but the political backlash. And those are the four issues, of course, that are uh, front center here in the United States, yet we don't have 
a national approach to trying to address any of these issues. So while we may be trying to learn the lessons from the UK, everybody talks about that a lot, Max. At the local and state level, their operational level of the companies, they're pushing farthest and fastest on these fourth points that directly led to the backlash in the UK. And so it seems like that's the direction we're going in. It's one thing for sports betting to go legal in the U.S. It's another for leagues who have long condemned sports betting to suddenly be giving the hard sell everywhere you look, right? Not so subtly recruiting new gamblers every day with their programming, with their content. Do you see any issue in that sudden 180 on the part of the leagues themselves? I think we've been working with the leagues for over a decade. And so we had seen early signs, certainly before 2018, of the leagues were very interested in sports betting in general. And after the Supreme Court decision, they did their due diligence and they looked around at the landscape. And I think they decided to move into sports betting. But I do think there's a great opportunity to leverage their media, their brand, if you will, to really bring responsible gambling into a whole new place than it's been before. So we think it's a mix. There's certainly some challenges with the league role in promoting and monetizing sports betting. There's also some opportunities to try and do responsible gambling a little bit better because the leagues are not the gambling industry. And the leagues have a different set of imperatives and tools to try and address responsible gambling, like the ad that we've done in conjunction with the NFL, which may reach a billion impressions by the time the Super Bowl is played. And that's, that's an enormous opportunity for us. Ted Leonsis makes the argument that policing problem gambling falls to the casino companies, those who run these sports books. In your mind, how much responsibility do the leagues have to regulate their betters? And given how much they stand to profit from simply more people placing more bets, can they be trusted to embrace the notion of responsible gambling? Well, I think the leagues have an enormous responsibility, just as they do around issues like alcohol or public safety in their stadia. So to just outsource this to the gambling industry, I think uh, entirely misses the mark and it doesn't build a sustainable market. So I think there's an enormous role for the leaks and owners to play in a very positive way because these social costs, the social costs of gambling addiction are not just going to go away. And quite frankly, you can't only rely on the gambling industry to solve this problem. It would be like relying only on Anheuser-Busch to solve drunk driving. They're clearly, they have some interest in this, but they have a conflict, a natural inherent conflict. You have to have broader stakeholders and those who are making the most money bear the most responsibility. So I do think in the court of public opinion, no one is going to detach the role of the owners or the leagues from that of the gambling company in in responding to this. I wonder, Keith, do you see a bright red line anywhere? Do you think once a team has a casino in their arena, that's a step too far? If you're advertising on jerseys, that's a step too far. Are there any uh, red lines where this melding of the sports industry and the gambling industry are concerned? Well, Max, that's the billion dollar, maybe trillion dollar question right now. We don't categorically draw red lines. I think a lot of this is unique and it's new to America. We've never had this type of sports betting. We've never had these relationships with the leagues. Frankly, some of this stuff goes beyond what we see anywhere else in the world. So it's a massive social experiment. I do believe that around things like gambling, there tends to become a balancing point. And often that balancing point is reached when the public perception is that things go too far and there's a little bit of a corrective, but that We are all straining to figure out exactly what the implications are and and where some of those guardrails should be placed. There's a lot of concerns around youth exposure to gambling advertising. 
there's a lot of concerns about the impact of technology. There's a lot of concerns about that integrity of the game and things. So it's a broad, multifaceted conversation. I think your question is, is a great one. And no one really knows that answer yet, I don't think. And it also makes it very difficult in the United States because gambling is not regulated at the national level. It's really a conversation amongst 50 states and 275 tribes and 50 state lotteries. And so that's where it gets really delicate, I think. And, and there may well be a congressional role. We'll see if this becomes a national issue. But right now, it seems like each state is going to try and maximize its revenue as much as it can, each league, each college, maybe each individual player. And no one knows where that ends, especially when it comes to people who may develop harm from gambling problems. I have heard, Keith, the analogy made that the gambling industry in some ways is like the old tobacco industry, able to largely fund their own research, put out studies that they more or less sponsor. Just in the spirit of full disclosure, your organization is financed in part by donation from major gambling industry companies. So what do you say to folks who feel the power brokers of gambling have their thumb on the scale and this issue of responsible gambling will never be handled in earnest? Yeah, I, I think it's always important to look at that, where the money's coming from. And I think people that hear me criticize, even in this interview, the industry, I think we're aggressively neutral on legalized gambling. But yes, we certainly take membership donations from a number of gambling companies, as well as from state governments and tribes and many other stakeholders in the industry. We are always neutral on legalized gambling. We're pretty transparent about what we do with that money. But we always invite people to, to ask and look and see where we are. You know, As advocates for people with gambling problems, we've been very clear on where we think there's challenges and where we think there's good stuff happening. But it is. It's Gambling is everywhere in the United States. We've always been a nation of gamblers. And if we were an organization that was dedicated to abolishing legalized gambling, it would, of course, not be appropriate for us to work with the industry. But we do. We are dedicated to being neutral on legalized gambling. And I think to your larger point, our first advocacy goal is to get federal funding for problem gambling services and research. Because as you say, right now, most of the research money does come from the gambling industry. We think the industry should be contributing to research. So that's not a problem for us. But we believe that they shouldn't be the only people contributing to research and that both state governments who are raping windfall profits from this, as well as the federal government. The federal government makes almost $8 billion a year from taxes on gambling winnings and from the excise tax on sports betting. And it is just inappropriate that the feds should put a large chunk of that $8 billion back into prevention and research services so there would be less of a concern about the fact that the industry is funding so much of the research. I mean, right now, at least the industry is stepping up state government and the feds aren't. So that's one of our major policy priorities is to get the national federal health agencies involved. So Keith, looking forward, it seems like this genie can't be put back in the bottle. The pervasive culture of betting, infiltrating pregame shows, postgame shows, casinos being built in stadiums. Where do you think we'll be culturally in five to 10 years? And are you worried about where this is all headed? We're conducting a social experiment around legalized gambling and the expansion of sports betting on a national scale. And nobody knows what the implications are. When we start to think about the risk for gambling addiction, the way it's shifted, I do think our biggest concern in the next five to 10 years are going to be young male online sports bettors who have enormously high rates of participation and their risk for gambling problems may catch up with them over the next decade. Because it takes a number of years for someone to develop a full-fledged addiction, to lose all their money, to lose all their access to credit, to tap out their friends and their workplace and everywhere else. 
And so I think the problem is we'll hit that peak, that theoretical peak for gambling problems many years after legalization has happened in all these states. And it'll be very hard, as you say, to put that genie back in the bottle. The only way you can address the social cost of gambling addiction is to make sure that there's funds available to minimize harm, prevent and treat gambling addiction in the first place. At some point, I think a cultural shift will happen and kids will have their parents talk to them about sports betting, just the way their parents now talk to them about sex, drugs, and, and alcohol. You know, my son knows from an early age not to smoke. I think I never had that conversation around gambling with my parents. Most people don't, but maybe in 10 years, that's where we'll be. Sports betting will be normalized in our culture. It will still be something that's very high risk for some people, but hopefully we'll do a better job as a society of preventing and treating it like we now have the conversations around alcohol. So that's our goal in the next decade, that the discussion around sports betting and risk and harm looks a lot more like the discussion around drunk driving. Well, it seems almost inevitably this is all going to be a prominent part of our sports experience for the foreseeable future. So we'll have no choice but to to watch it unfold and and see what the future bears. So we uh, thank you again, Keith, for, for joining us today to lend some of your perspective. Thank you, Max. And John Frankel's report was just part of this month's new episode of Real Sports. Also on the show, Isabel Young makes her debut as a Real Sports correspondent, exploring the troubling relationship between the International Olympic Committee and China's campaign of repression ahead of the upcoming Winter Games in Beijing. Brian Gumbel sits down with former Tampa Bay Buccaneer wide receiver Antonio Brown, who several weeks ago infamously stripped off his jersey and walked off the field in the middle of a game, Brown now tells his side, alleging that the Bucks mishandled his severe ankle injury. And Soledad O'Brien spotlights Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir, the former Olympic figure skaters turned fun, fashionable, and eccentric TV analyst team. You can catch those stories and all recent episodes of Real Sports with Brian Gumbel on HBO Max. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next time. weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.